so yeah, I'm, I uh, I have a pair of in-ear headphones that over which I hear myself, and I have a pair of over-ear headphones uh, through which I can hear you guys. That's intense. I'm now so used to this setup that I can't imagine not hearing my voice whilst recording a podcast. Uh, are we streaming <laughs> this live to the internet? <laughs> to everyone? God, if we were live, we would get in so much trouble. Oh my God. Thank God for editing. But I'm actually I'm very excited to speak with you, Sophia, today. You are the first person whose podcast I listen to that I then speak with. So, oh, I'm very nice. excited. I am excited to be right before this. I was like, oh man, my first podcast. And then I was like, wait, that's <laughs> not true. Um, but it's 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 my first time being on a a podcast where it's not my podcast, uh, <laughs> which still feels like an honor. <laughs> Because, you know, anyone can be on their own podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're really happy to have you. And um, should we just start? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Smooth transition. What's yeah, the process? Exactly. Like, I have I have a, like, a little notes thing of all the things I want to talk about. But I don't know if you guys, like, direct me or something. It'll just be like a free-flowing conversation type of thing. Okay, cool. So I'll just rant. Yeah, exactly. That's what we do on here. Um, because, Rashad, this episode is going to be a little different to our usual episodes of The Weekly Hook. Not just that we have our great guest, Sophia, uh, on this episode, but usually when when we've had guests on so far, we've been talking mostly with them about a topic that we all kind of knew something about. And today, I think Sophia will be doing most of the talking because I I told her that she can talk about whatever she wants. And, you know, I would just like to give her the space to talk about a thing that she's very, very uh, interested in, fascinated by, so much so that she started a podcast about it, that, uh, you know, she is the, ho the host of the podcast Opera Faro, uh, which is one of my favorite podcasts, as I have mentioned on the podcast episode of The Weekly Hook. So meta. And yeah, Sophia, you kindly invited me to be on the show a few weeks ago. And now now you're here. Thank you so much. Thank you. So the show is called Opera Apero. And yeah, that's all like Frenchy Frenchy. Uh, but the way that's spelled is Opera, O-P-E-R-A. And then Apero, A-P-E-R-O. The E usually has an accent because I want it to be proper French. But uh, it should work without it too. I was thinking to myself, it's a, such a great title. Yeah. Well done. Thank you. It's a, you know what? I didn't realize how much of a deep cut it was because people are like, what does that mean? I'm like, well, opera and apero are like anagrams of each other. So it's all the same letters. So good. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to talk about opera. And I realized that you two don't have that much experience with it. But also, that's kind of the point of why I'm into opera and like why I started my show. Um, and so I guess just stop me whenever you have questions about opera, <laughs> <laughs> about anything. So how do you define an opera? 
Oh, <laughs> okay. This is a great question, and I came prepared. Um, I actually, I read the Wikipedia article about opera today. Me too. Um, <laughs> I I promise I know some things. Um, so, opera. I think it's just another form of musical theater, but it's really it's stylized by the 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 way that people sing in it, um, and also the fact that most of the time all of the action happens through song. So unlike a musical where there are musical numbers and then dialogue in between, even the dialogue is sung and played to music in an opera. Um, But other than that, I think opera is just another form of musical theater where there is the performers, the singers that have to do some element of acting along with their singing skill. There's costume and makeup design, there's set design, uh, there's even, you know, and I talk about this sometimes on the show where I talk up the Met, Metropolitan Opera House in New York City, because they have this kind of cool AV system that they just are able to do like projections onto the stage and create all these like really cool visual effects. Uh, but there's set design, there's the the music, and and there's all, even a director. So there's a ton of things that go into it, just like a regular musical performance. So does that answer your question? Yeah, it really does. The way I understood we were talking about music, it was more the vocal aspect of it um, that it's fo- you're focused a lot on. Um, I guess for me, one of the things that's been interesting is that um, I played in an orchestra for quite a while. I'm very much more focused on like the philharmonic side of that those generations of music or entertainment, I guess it is interesting because I was thinking to myself, okay, what is my relationship with operas? Do I even have a relationship with opera? Have I ever like (laughs) connected or had any, you know, exposure to it? And my answer is, I think so. I'm not really sure. (laughs) Maybe I think it's just um, passively connected through the, the musical, the instruments that I was playing at the time. I did not know this. What instruments were you playing? <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> I mostly played viola. Uh, nice. And that was fun. I mean, shout out to all the violas out there. Violins are overrated. <laughs> Hot take by Rashad. <laughs> you heard it here first, people. No, it's actually, it's a really funny to come full circle. So, um, and I think it was my fourth or fifth grade teacher. The orchestra teacher had come into the class to play different songs to show us that the showcase the different instruments right so she goes she plays the violin she plays the cello she plays the bass whatever when she gets to the viola she just starts she decides to play the imperial march from star wars and I'm like, <laughs> yes nice. i am playing this instrument so i was hooked <laughs> love at first sight yeah but it was the it was the song that it was <laughs> but yeah so it's very interesting um having sometimes a deep relationship from from specific songs that uh, would potentially be part of an opera. Uh, I guess the question I have is like, it sounds like you just kind of took the pieces, learned them, played them. So did you have like a different connection to songs that weren't in operas that there was like something to distinguish between the two? To be honest, no. And I really couldn't tell the difference a lot of the times because it was often in orchestral competitions. So you're not really playing part of, I mean, you wouldn't be playing in a live operatic performance as opposed to just playing against other orchestras to see who could be technically better. Um, mm. So, and yeah, I just just wouldn't know sometimes what part of the piece is because, I mean, I wasn't 
I wouldn't go into looking to the history of the pieces or anything like that. I would just play what's on the page. Wow. Mm. We're, I'm learning so much today. You're not the first person I've heard uh, from like a musical background say this. I know someone who was a casual opera singer and I, I've asked her about it and she said that uh, she doesn't really know too much about the opera in general or things. She just kind of like had a good singing voice, picked up some songs and was able to like perform in a couple of places every once in a while, uh, like just like one off songs. And so, um, yeah, she also doesn't really like have a strong connection to the piece as a whole or the story. It's funny when you just said that. Uh, my mind, I, I, for a second, I couldn't comprehend it because the words "casual opera singer" just could, I couldn't compute <laughs> that. I was like, that does in my that doesn't work in my mind. <laughs> but of course, they would. Like, there it's not like Anna Netrebko is going to be there for like, you know, just like some I don't know, like some band competition just to give some vocal performance. Did you research famous opera singers? Because you whipped out that Anna Netrebko name. <laughs> I mean, she's one of only a few that I know of. I mean, you mentioned some in your podcast, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, I was, I mean, I, I know about this, but uh, I think Richard doesn't, and maybe some of the listeners don't. What's your origin story? What's the origin story of your love of opera and why you decided to make a podcast about it? Uh, yeah. Okay. So, um Without going into like too many details, last summer I was going through kind of like a tough personal time and I was back home in the States and hanging out with my mom a lot and she was, and this was again last summer, was just a few months into the COVID pandemic starting uh, and basically she was playing all of these metropolitan operas because the Met started streaming a daily opera every day. Um, and I just kind of started sitting down and watching it with her. And it was just like a really nice escape uh, from the like difficult situation I was dealing with. And I think that's one of the things that drew me into it. Like besides all the things that I find really fascinating about it, it provided this really nice relief. And that's why one of the things I think is like opera is still really similar to just any kind of media that we use to like distract ourselves from other things. Like we watch television, we watch movies. Uh, you can also just watch opera to like escape for like a couple hours. Uh, and so that's kind of like how I got into opera in the first place. I just kept like finding out, look like researching the opera before we watched it and seeing what would happen in the story, kind of like spoilers. But here's the thing is that opera plot synopses online are all trash in my opinion and uh, they're very brief uh, and they're also i would find not that like accurate and so there have been times where an opera synopsis would say something along the lines of um like they get into an argument and he walks off but then i would watch it and he would actually just like be abusive or <laughs> like and the it's just like, okay, actually, there's a lot more nuance going on here in this story. Um, and so I had to watch the opera to actually find out what the real story was because I felt like all the synopses were actually hiding it from me. Um, and so I just watch it and yeah, I don't know. I, it was fascinating to me. And then I kept watching it. And then um, at some point, 
I was trying to talk to my friend about an opera that has some really racist names for their for a couple of characters. And I was trying to like explain the whole thing. And then I eventually ended up just explaining the whole story of the opera to her. Uh, and I was like, as we were going through it, it was just like this enjoyable conversation. And then we were able to like talk about like, okay, like now that we know the whole story and we know some context around like opera composers using uh, the like using Asia and different places in Asia as a background because it was like a popular thing. Like how can we like start to think about character names? And yeah, it was just a way to like start to think about these like other topics that are already present in our lives. Um, but just like with a different uh, background or content medium. Wow. I already have so many questions. Uh, I've been <laughs> writing down all these questions. Um, yeah. My first uh, question is how do you watch operas? Okay, I love this question because now I can say I have an episode for that. Um, <laughs> so um, I actually made a little episode about how to watch opera for free. Um, this is actually one of the points I wanted to talk about is that opera in thanks to like technology and uh, I say like fortunately slash unfortunately thanks to COVID uh, has seen a huge increase in accessibility. So there are the Metropolitan has these like free streaming, uh, free streams every day. Um, but then there's also all of these other organizations, I would say, that put up recordings of operas. And so you can basically like just go to the Met or go on YouTube or search anything. I've actually also seen people in the Reddit, the opera subreddit. I've seen people go in and be like, I'm looking for XYZ recording. Um, and there's like a whole community of people that will help like find that for you. So short answer, I watch them on my computer. I haven't been to a real opera yet. <laughs> Is there a f like an opera house that you would most like to go to? Just like anything in Berlin, I mm. think. So just having lived here for almost like over two years already and now being into opera I really really want to go to one of the like Berlin opera houses and there's three to choose from so yeah aren't the uh, Berlin opera houses out there yeah so I think German opera houses in general have a reputation for being out there um, so, but yes the the I think the Berlin ones I think um so I was researching this recently uh the Komisch Oper and so I don't know, I guess komisch means strange or weird in German. Um, so it's like built into the name. And uh, they, the, they're um, not director, but just the guy who like runs the whole thing and like has created a vision for it is Barry Kosky. Um, and he's the one who originally put together just like this wild version of the magic flute, which I think one of my guests actually saw performed and, Uh, so if you listen to the Il Trovatore episode on my show, Kyle talks about seeing this like boob monster like flying through the air and she describes the whole experience as feeling like she was on drugs. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, there, I, there's places that do more like non-traditional interpretations of operas. Oh, and is there like, what's the uh, most like whack opera you've seen there, you've seen yet or like the most out there? Oh my God. Um, okay, so this one isn't a standard like repertoire opera, 
I'm not okay. Now I'm gonna sound like a liar. So I actually have been to one opera, and but it was this like one hour opera, and it was at the, I guess technically fourth opera house of Berlin, which is the Neukölln Oper, uh, which is not even in an opera house. It's like in a in a in a Hof building where you go up some flights of stairs, and it's just like in a building uh, on one floor, and so small stage. Uh, but this one was really interesting it was it's called like die fleisch which is like the meat and it was this japanese piece that was translated into german and the way that they staged it there was all of these like corona restrictions uh so the like singers had this were touching through like this glass and also I don't really speak that much German so I was only catching <laughs> every little few pieces uh that was the weirdest one for me. But so did they not have surtitles? Uh, the German surtitles. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. That actually brings me to one of my other questions was, I mean, as like an ing ignorant Anglophone, it doesn't seem that many operas are in English. And do you notice any sort of a different level of appreciation appreciation within different linguistic spheres where one can conceivably understand what's going on or do people also just not understand what's going on okay great question um so there are english language operas but personally i think that the language that an opera is in kind of changes how it sounds which does make sense but it changes how it sounds and also I think the themes of these different operas are different. So I think it was just in general English language operas I don't usually find to be the most interesting. Um, and also that's the thing is that I think even when you speak the language, just because the way that the opera style of singing is done, it can still affect it can still just not sound interpretable all the time. So if I listen to an English language opera, I don't always understand what they're saying and I still need to like look at the subtitles. Um, the same goes for French. The same goes for German. Um, I will like be able to pick out words in what they're singing, but not always what is be like the sentence as a whole. So that obviously impacts my understanding of it. And so I think the subtitles is really good because one, even if you know the language already, it's really useful to just actually <laughs> see what's going on. Um, but also it allows anyone else who doesn't speak that language to understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, and so you, you just said that you are generally not that interested in English language operas, but mm -hmm. what language are you most interested in or like what which like language opera are you most interested in it's just like anything not english oh. <laughs> <laughs> but so actually i wanted to like comment on the subtitles thing um mm. this is i mentioned that opera has become way more accessible recently so even before covid back in the early aughts opera companies started recording and broadcasting their productions and so um, I remember growing up and going to the movies and seeing a preview for the Met Opera live on demand so people could buy tickets to the movie theater 
and go actually even in like I'm from Miami they could go to my like the theater the movie theater in Miami and watch an opera from New York City uh which is pretty dope and but even more so like there's all of these streaming services so in terms of accessibility like the barrier to entry to opera has gotten so much lower, but I think also the next key part of that is subtitles. And this is going to be a tangent rant because so many people don't like subtitles, which I think is a little bit unfounded because to me, subtitles are really like this accessibility issue where subtitles are one, very useful for people who are hard of hearing. They're very useful for foreigners who, so for example, I use subtitles, um, and just to like, if I have enough comprehension of the language to be able to read, I'll use the subtitles to like read in the foreign language if I know I can't keep up with what's being said. So it's kind of like a language learning tool, but it's also just a tool for you to also expand your market. So when it comes to foreign language cinema expanding in the US, I think like the best, most recent example of this would be Parasite winning best film. And he goes up and he says like subtitles are this like one centimeter barrier to you like to the rest of the world and so i want people to get over subtitle their hatred of subtitles is what i'm saying because mm. they are really useful and they just allow for so much more possibility and enjoyment of the world than by so many different people so that's my my side tangent and they allow for people to enjoy opera. <laughs> Most importantly. <laughs> wow, I didn't even know that there were was like a hatred to subtitles. Like, what's the problem? Um, so people find it distracting. <laughs> what? Or like you'll be pulled out of the experience. Which for me, if you are if you need the subtitles to understand what's happening then having the subtitles actually draws you into the experience even more. <laughs> mm, I've, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe that is a distinctly, like a distinct experience or opinion of... Are you going to say Americans? I was going to say people Watch yourself, who, have, Chris. <laughs> who have English as their first language and maybe don't know other languages because they think everything should be in English. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like there's also people who are like on, like monolingual only and only speaking English. Um, there's a certain like also just dislike of content produced in other languages yeah. or con maybe not dislike, but just hesitance or reluctance to approach that kind of content. Uh, and which is why like when latin music started infiltrating the top 40 in the states i was very taken aback uh because i was not expecting that at all i was like i don't know which marketing or media exec made this happen uh but i'm very pleased wow yeah good good point <laughs> yeah it's uh i feel like there you know depending on the country you're from like i i have spent some time in uh, denmark and the netherlands and in, they don't dub anything. It's just subtitles all the way because it's not worth it to pay people to sub it because it's just a couple of million people living in those countries, and you might as well, you you know just do the subtitles and it's fine. Uh, so there's a whole different culture surrounding that. 
Yeah, I know a lot of expats in Germany are just like, this country is intent on dubbing everything. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big subtitle fan. So, yeah. anyways, that's my subtitle rant. We love rants. That's what we're all about as well. Like, if, if there is an episode, especially on Serially Hooked, if there is an episode where one of us doesn't have a rant, I don't think that's ever happened, actually. Impossible. <laughs> No, because especially because I have gotten into it recently as well. Uh, so so now it's now that makes sure that it, there's at least one rant in there. Glad I filled the rant quota. Yeah, thank you so much. Do you have a favorite period though? Like we've we've talked about like distinguishing between languages is a little bit <laughs> weird. But is there like a, some form of period where I say I'm really fr about like I'm all about operas from the 19th century or like this period or whatever? <laughs> Um, so as, as listeners of my show will know, uh, uh, I'm not a history person and I, I, yeah, so I just can't really distinguish all these things. So no short answer is I just, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. Like if you, I could probably start to like tell you when something was made from an opera that I've already covered on the show, but even then it's spotty. Ignorant question, but do the period, the line similar to the classical music periods, like the Baroque era, et cetera, et cetera? Oh, geez. I also don't know anything about music. So. Okay. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I don't know either. So I, can't, I guess read the, uh, be the third person on this podcast to read the Wikipedia article of uh, on operas today. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure... Like knowing nothing about this, I'm just going to take a wild guess here. I don't think it aligns that much uh, the closer it gets to nowadays, but especially before the 19th century, I feel like it's very much hand in hand. But I, I don't, th I don't think there's like a romanticist period. In that's uh, what I was wondering. Is there yeah. like a you know because it generally goes baroque, classic, romantic, and then modernist in the 20th, 20th, 21st century, right? Yeah. So I'm wondering if it kind of like does that go along the lines because um like tchaikovsky for example i think wrote a few operas yeah um and he's clearly romantic and beethoven mm. and mozart are very classic and i they were both both, both wrote operas as well beethoven and wrote one opera only one yeah fidelio was it any good i have not seen it <laughs> yet <laughs> it's on the to watch list yeah oh i so uh can you say how many operas are on that to watch list is it in the hundreds oh man no it's not um <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's ad hoc it's uh i kind of just like watch out for anything that sounds interesting and then store it in my brain uh nice. but probably like 10 to 20 okay yeah that sounds way more reasonable than uh having a list of hundreds of topics to talk about Yeah, I do also have like a massive book of operas that has yeah. like all the plots in it. Um, so, so that's that's mainly what you're criticizing is that specific book of like this doesn't make any sense this plot, <laughs> well, or like the synopsis of it rather. Uh, not the book per se. Like the book is okay. Mm. I mean, so these things get really detailed. I don't know. So I think this is okay. So this is part of why I think some of the discussions I'm having on the, my show are valuable is because I think it provides more context around what's going on 
in in the sh- in in the stories that are being told and starts to like redefine them and not to say that I'm like this new like voice or whatever but if someone's slut shaming someone like let's not say that let's not just skip over that uh mm-hmm. like that should be mentioned in my opinion um it's like all these things I just yeah <laughs> yeah I think that is one of the things that I like most about your podcast is that you make it very approachable and from a very like from like a perspective of today i don't know another example that i always like to give people when i talk about your podcast because i i I do suggest it to people uh is that like i i forget who of your guests it was but they likened the plot of that opera to the bachelor (laughs) and i think that's one of the like uh that's one like another good example of how you can like break it down yeah yeah exactly this is so this is one of the points I wanted to cover is that opera has this reputation of being elitist, of being highbrow, and that uh, it might, it's historically probably true. I think there is, like for a very long time, the only way you could see an opera was by going to the opera house, and that was traditionally reserved for the like wealthy upper class. Um, and so there's like all these people who don't really know anything about opera and there is that like historical context of like, well, this is reserved for people who are higher up than me. Like I can't understand it or I guess something along those lines. And when in fact, like all of the stories, one, (laughs) this is like, I, I don't know if I just sound like a broken record, like all the stories are kind of wild. Like if my friend can compare it to The Bachelor, then like how really highbrow of a story is it? <laughs> like it's it's not. Um and the other thing is that like what I like is that I can tell these stories to my friends and they can still engage with it. And so it's kind of showing that we can even if we don't have uh for me personally historical knowledge musical knowledge um despite all of that i can still like watch this piece of art and like start to think about all the things that are coming up and talk about the things that mean something to me and have a discussion with someone around it and they can do that too even though they haven't seen the opera like these are still things that you can consume and think about what they mean for you and for society as a whole and so Opera is still something that like anyone can go and if you know the story, you can actually start to like interpret it like you would any other story. Like you can like people go to the movies and then they like talk about the movie they saw afterwards. Um, People talk about TV shows like you can go to the opera and then talk to your friends about the opera. Low key why I did the show is because I wanted to actually just be able to talk to my friends about opera and um and have them actually be able to respond to me um so so yeah so i think there is this like i element of like i want people to realize that we can still consume this media that has been traditionally reserved for not people from our class for most people's classes um and enjoy it and get something out of it. 
Yeah, and I think that's kind of testament about uh, on like great art is that even hundreds of years later, there is something in those operas that we can still relate to, even though a lot of time and a lot of circumstances have changed. But there is something in the um, fabric of every story or in like good stories anyway um, that, you know, just speaks to people or the human condition or whatever. Yes, exactly. I'm vigorously head nodding right now. Um, but yeah, all these stories just hit on like really deep human themes. Uh, some of them are just other stupid stories, like the, the opera about the threesome. Like that's yeah. stupid and funny. But then there are all the movies, uh, <laughs> operas, where they're actually talking about like love and betrayal and, 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 and grief. And, and so, yeah, these are all things that, you know, people can relate to. And so why not? Yeah, for sure. And that that episode, by the way, is definitely like that threesome part is <laughs> golden. <laughs> yeah, that's so a good. full on spoiler. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're not going to say which episode it is, but uh, if you want to find out, you have to listen to her podcast. So you should do it. Um, I, I must assume that your favorite operatic voice is the mezzo-soprano. Why? Wait, why? Why would you assume that? <laughs> I mean, it, it kind of is, but why? <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah, as with the uh, episode of your podcast where you talked about how to watch operas, you also did a bonus, kind of a bonus episode uh, or a solo episode rather about the different voice types, um, which, you know, I learned a lot because I knew nothing about it. I knew the, uh, you know, the different names, but I had no idea what it means in terms of the story and which kind of character they represent. And I don't know, just the way you talked about it, it was like, I feel like that's your jam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, I like the mezzo-soprano. There's a lot of like flexibility in the role. So we still see like mezzo. So for uh, anyone who doesn't know, a mezzo-soprano is um, kind of like the middle tier of the female voices. So voices in opera are split into male voices and female voices. And so they go from highest to lowest. And so um, for females, there is soprano, mezzo, and contralto. Um, and the mezzo sits in this middle tier where it's just reserved for, um, you know, it's reserved for these roles of where women play men. Um, and it's also reserved for women who are more, um, I don't know, they could be like seductive or evil, or they could be they could be a lot of things. And so I think there's this more flexibility and kind of just like element of being not the kind of traditional idealized woman that resonates with me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, I feel like they are all, I mean, from all the operas that you talked about on your podcast, I kind of gained the impression that um, they are all very strong female roles. So I guess that's why I thought like, that's, you know, that's probably something that you really like. <laughs> yes. Although Yeji Baba, who is the evil witch in Rusalka, mm. does slut shame Rusalka. So, yeah. you know, not not all mezzos. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like we're all asking all these questions. But since you came so prepared, like, are there what are like some other topics that you wanted to talk about? Uh, yeah. I mean, actually, all the questions you've asked have hit on topics that I had prepared. Um I think the one thing I want to mention is Phantom of the Opera is not an opera. <laughs> Do not 
ask people who are do not tell people that are into opera that you've seen Phantom of the Opera. It is not an opera. It is a Broadway musical. The only thing is that it's about like one of the characters is a soprano and it takes place in an opera house. That's why it's Phantom of the Opera. It's he's haunting the opera house. It's not an opera. Do you get many people suggesting that you talk about that quote unquote opera on your podcast or and they don't suggest that I do it on the podcast, but I just like it comes up in conversation whenever I talk about opera. So I want public service announcement. <laughs> like <laughs> Phantom of the Opera is not an opera. <laughs> yes. Nice. So we did just talk about like favorite like operatic voices and all of that. And you did mention some singers in the aforementioned episode. Is there anybody we should keep our eyes on like that are are just people that you think are like the greatest in their craft? It's kind of a mean question to to ask someone like you didn't give them chance to prepare, but <laughs> I think okay, there's plenty of opera superstars that are very easy to find, so I don't want to like quote any of them um but in terms of just like people whose story interests me there was this one russian opera star um and i'm actually in the middle of reading an article about her right now but um her name was marina poplovskaya and uh, the first time i saw her was in a production of turando and uh her singing was phenomenal is like gorgeous and she's also just beautiful and has these like sharp cheekbones and uh however as she was like on the climb to like opera stardom she just vanished uh like she quit a bunch of things she stepped away from the opera world and and she like got married and had a baby with this guy and then they like she started they she started selling real estate in New York um and part of this like was due to the fact that she was going her voice was going through changes so much like your body changes over time so does your voice and this is also this is critical for opera singers since it's their whole job and so being able to like figure out how you use your voice as it's changing um, and what you can and cannot do with it um, is difficult, especially if you're, you know, being booked to do all these roles that your voice is not as comfortable doing. Um, so as she's been going through all these changes and so she's been selling real estate in New York for years, a few years now, and She's actually started like reemerging on the opera scene a little bit, and um, but it, as more of a mezzo soprano. So she was performing soprano roles before, but now she's performing more as a mezzo. Um, and I haven't heard her new like voice or her new performances, um, but I just think it's a fascinating story. Like I think that's like a real human thing and it's not something that you see all the time. Um, it's not like a perfect story. And I like that. Yeah, that is fascinating. For some reason, when you, when you started telling that story, I, I assumed that she was way older, that she, like she might've been like long dead. Like she, she was like, she had her rise in the seventies or something like that. And, you know, but from what you 
well, from what you just said, I assume that she, you know, she's alive and well. So. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I uh, know. I was using the past tense. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I mean, of course, because it did happen in the past. So, <laughs> like, uh, wow, yeah, that is that is a really curious case. I mean, I guess it doesn't even have anything really to do with opera per se. It's just this idea that, you know, someone is in the limelight. And so you might, the whole world in, in, in opera was just like, had no idea why she like it was very mysterious at the time like why she stopped and it remained mysterious and I think that's just great like this assertion that it's like it's my private life and I don't have to share it with you and I don't have to provide you like a reason um yeah all right so it's more of an appreciation of her as a person (laughs) that's fine that's that's still like that's that's a good reason to give i feel like mm-hmm. that's well. um so apart from the just the sheer fact that operas are more approachable than you'd think what's the uh, most surprising thing you've learned about opera and what's something that more people should know about hmm. okay this gets to my last point that i prepared uh This, like, I think there's still this, like, even if I sell people on the idea that they can understand what's happening in the opera, they can go and appreciate it. They can understand the story. They can, like, consume it and, like, just enjoy it. Uh, There's still this, 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 like, why do they sing that way? And I don't like how that sounds. Um, And I will admit when I first started watching opera, I was really more taken in by like everything else that was going on, like the costumes and the sets and the stories. And the singing was kind of not, the singing and the music was not the main point for me. Um, Oh my God. I feel like a huge opera fraud whenever I talk about like my personal motivations when it comes to opera, but actually I'm a huge opera fan anyways. And so whatever. It's just my story. But basically like I've actually grown to appreciate it. I think it is an acquired taste. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that for some people it's going to be an acquired taste. For me, it was an acquired taste. Um, It's like one, difficult to understand what they're saying. So you have to read the subtitles. But you know what? The songs are kind of repetitive in terms of lyrics. So you can kind of get the gist of what's going on after you read like one subtitle. And also, I didn't realize this at first, but the point of opera singing is that these people are doing this like fully on their own. It's a no-no in opera to have any kind of amplification or microphone. Um, So the fact that some human can get up on this stage and belt out these tunes for a whole opera house is, I think it's like incredible it's just it's 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 one of those things where you're like oh my god a human body can do that that's i didn't real wow and 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 so i think having this like appreciation of like how much they train and the actual like feat that they're going through um to sing this way has really made me appreciate it even more um and yeah it just as i like grew to appreciate the singing style more and more I found that 
the songs would actually make me more emotional. Um, and so I don't think of myself as a person that cries super easily, but there is like one opera that will bring me to the brink of tears. Um, and when I watch it and, uh, and it's because like, just the songs are beautiful and the way that they're sung and the feeling that goes into them is just, it's, it, it's like the perfect mixture for me. I love that. I mean, not least of all, because you're gushing about the po power of the human voice on a podcast, <laughs> <laughs> an audio only medium. I love yeah. that. <laughs> uh, you just mentioned costumes and I think that, you know, a lot of people really focus on the music part, whether it is the actual orchestration or the the singing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, costumes are obviously a huge part of the performance as well. Um, can you maybe, I know I'm, I'm asking a lot of what's your favorite type questions, but like, what's like one opera that you saw where the costumes were just, I don't know, for some reason or another, you were just really taken by it either because they were just really weird or because they were just beautiful or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, so as I'm thinking, the first one that came to mind was the Met did a production of Samson et Dalila. Um, and this was like featuring Robert Alagna and Renee Fleming. Oh, no, wait, was it Renee Fleming or Alina Garancha? I don't remember. Um, but that takes place in kind of like biblical times. And so there's just really nice like flowy like dresses for the women and as I'm also saying it I was like thinking about um this other Met production because I mean most of the things I've seen are from the Met but this Met production of Massenet's Thais um that again this one takes place in Egypt uh and the way they dress up Renee Fleming who plays Thais is just she's gorgeous um and Yeah, I, I, it's just like these flowy, like, and they, it's, you know, it can, it's the Met in HD, so you can see the quality of the material. Um, these just like sensual fabrics, and yeah, it really, really it adds to it. Wow. That, that sounds amazing. Like sensuous, the sensuous fabrics. I like that. <laughs> um, uh, maybe, maybe the last question that I have, and maybe Rashad has some more, but so if, If one of our listeners or say one of us uh, wants to uh, like dip their toes into opera, what would you say are some good starter operas? Oh, okay. So I have a controversial opinion here. And my opinion is that you don't have to start with any opera in particular. You can just kind of pick whatever you want or whatever is like on television. It's like, you know, flip the channel on and, um, But no, really, I just like go on the Met and see if it interests me or not and then mm. go about my day. Um, so, but also I'm the kind of person that if I sit down for something and I don't like it, I don't feel obligated to finish it. So try something. If you don't like it, that's fine. Uh, just find something else that you might want to try someday. Um, but with that being said, I can give the like, standard-ish recommendations for beginner operas um yeah so La Traviata by Verdi um I think 
a lot of children and adults get introduced to opera through the magic flute, which is a Mozart piece. I have ideas of what else to say, but I actually haven't seen those operas. Um, I haven't seen a lot of the like beginner entry level operas um, mm. because, and this is why I, I, I started with my initial piece of advice is I just started with whatever my mom was watching, which is very much not the like traditional stuff. Like the, one of the first ones I saw probably was Thais and that is not a common opera. Um, so <laughs> Make so, your way through the world. <laughs> and uh, like how many, let's say in a month, in like any given month, how many operas do you watch? Mm, I, yeah, I feel like I watched a lot more in the winter time <laughs> when we were all stuck inside, especially in lockdown. Um, mm. So I think I was watching maybe like one opera per week. But now in the summer, I'd say that's probably maybe only like two operas a month hmm. nice i don't know rashad do you have any qu more questions oh you know of course i do yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> uh, but i'll limit it uh, for sure my question is um and i don't know if you'd be able to speak to this because you said your opera your physical opera viewing experience is quite low um but you know if, if one were to go to an opera house how would you recommend they actually engage with the opera because you know from my own experience i remember going to the vienna opera house to see an opera oh so cool yeah it was cool but i can't tell you what the opera was what happened like who were in it i can't remember anything of it all i remember is the building um i mean the building is extravagant obviously but you know i would like to the next time i go to an opera house which would be will probably be soon or sooner rather than later thanks to you how can i then get more out of it or make it more kind of engage with the piece a little bit more yeah um so the biggest thing for in my opinion is preparation uh so before the internet and in, uh, and uh, like all these synopses searches that we could do uh people actually had books of opera plots um like my book of opera plots and so What, they, what you could do then is actually say, okay, I want to go see this opera. I'm going to just kind of like, and this is also before surtitles happened. So you didn't, so a lot of people before then didn't even have the ability to like read this, what was happening while, while it was being sung. Uh, so what they had to do was actually look through these opera plot books and figure out, okay, this is like act one. And in this scene, this is what happens. In this scene, this is what happens. And so they had the story in their mind already. And so because they had the story in their mind, when they went and watched it, they weren't concerned about like fig trying to figure out what was going on. They were actually able just to enjoy the music, enjoy the singing, enjoy the actual like sensory experience of it. Um, and I think the truest The same is probably true nowadays, too. Um, I think even if we have the surtitles and stuff, there is, because of all of our uh, built-up anxieties around this being like an elitist thing uh, and it just being new to us, there are like these kinds of preparations you can do where you can say, okay, I will like 
listen to that opera apero episode about the thing I'm going to go see, or I am going to just like do a Google and figure out what's happening so that when I'm there, like I have an idea of how it's going to go down. I have an idea of like what to watch out for and I'll understand what's happening. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, just uh, I think the other tip that I see most frequently is that you, while you, Every, there's this idea of like dressing up fancy. Keep in mind that a lot of operas are two to four hours long. So dress nicely, but dress comfortably. You're going to be there for a while. Thanks. I appreciate that. I'll keep that in mind next time I go see something and probably try to get some advice before I do that. Oh, yeah. Hit me up. <laughs> I wonder, like, is there any, like, I don't know what the, even the opera scene is in London. I assume there's something. Um, Yeah, for sure. There's the, uh, okay. I follow them on Twitter, Royal Opera House. I assume that's in London. Uh, but there's this really cool opera house that is, you know, on one of my, like, opera bucket lists is to go there. Um, and I'm sure the British have a different way of pronouncing this, but... We're just going to roll with my American pronunciation. Glindeborn Opera House. Maybe they call it Glindeborn. I don't know. But Glindeborn Opera House is an kind of an opera. So it's an opera house in this like manor or castle uh, that's mm, like two hours outside of London. And they put on shows that are just I don't know. They're incredible. So you have to like go out to this random place in the woods. I would say it's not in the woods. I don't know anything about the UK. Um, But you go out to this place and with these all these gardens and it's like a whole it's a whole event in a way in in a different way than going out to the opera is right. Like you're driving and you can walk around the gardens and like enjoy a meal at the restaurant and then go to the opera and watch the opera. I don't know. I just, it looks so cool. And all of their productions are really interesting. So they did a production of the Rake's Progress that I saw that was really cool in terms of like costume design. So I mentioned, this is, I actually have covered this on the show, um, but there's this character who's a bearded woman and her beard is just like hot pink, uh, which is super cool and fun. And the whole background set design looks like a cartoon. Um, And they also did this other production that I saw recently called The Cunning Little Vixen, where all the characters are animals. And it was, um, it was really interesting in the way that like the animals kind of like act as stereotypes of those animals, Um, like the cock. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's 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 a cool one in the UK. Cool, I'll go check it out. My last question is, and I don't think this will surprise Chris, is, I mean, it seems like watching operas have become so accessible. And as you said, you can find it basically for free anywhere. But then how is the industry getting money? <laughs> I'd assume it's like surprise, it's suffering, right? Because like... You know, if we talk about the music industry suffering, you can only mm-hmm. imagine how much this medium is kind of maybe would be teetering on financial collapse. Yeah, for sure. Um, and especially because, you know, I think we could be the first to admit that it's not like the most popular art form 
Um, and because I did read the Wikipedia article today, I can tell you that actually opera houses get a ton of support from public governments, um, especially in Europe where it's considered, I think opera is gen generally more popular in Europe than it is in the States. Um, so opera houses get subsidies from governments and get significant portions of their budget from that. Um, yeah. Anyway, so that's all to say, if you're in Europe or in the States, you're likely supporting the opera through some form of taxes. So get your money's worth. <laughs> <laughs> so, and maybe the last question for today is, uh, where can people find you and your podcast? Oh boy. I, you know what? My show is called Opera Apero. It's found on pretty much any podcasting listening service you could think of. Um, and if it's not, let me know by checking out my social media. <laughs> um, so I'm on Instagram at opera.apero and on Twitter at opera.apero. And also I have an email. So hello at opera.apero.com. Um, and yeah, so on the web, on, on the actual show itself, I don't talk about how obsessed I am with opera this much. Um, I actually, each episode just focuses on one opera and It goes into the story of what happens in the opera with details. Um, and then I have a friend, a friend who usually doesn't know anything about opera or hasn't been to an opera before. And after we explain the story, we just discuss different things about the show and decide whether or not we like it or what characters we hate. Um, and yeah, I think it's pretty funny because one And I don't think I've mentioned this. The opera stories can get kind of ridiculous. So it's just enjoyable to me. And I hope other people find it enjoyable. Yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you for inviting me. Well, yeah, thanks for coming on, Sophia. It was nice to meet you. Yeah. It was nice to meet you. Yes, voice <laughs> meet you. Um, thanks for having me. Okay, cool. I'm excited to hear the final product. We're excited yeah. to have you back after we watch an actual opera. Yeah, oh my for sure. God. Let's do that. Reunion. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. If you liked what you heard, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars. If you didn't like the show, why, why are you still listening? Five stars. If you want to get in touch, there are a few ways you can do that. Email. Write us an email to hello at seriallyhooked.com. Website. You can check out our website and suggest future topics at seriallyhooked.com. Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at seriallyhooked. If you like the show, tell a friend or Tan. Rate us on Apple Podcasts. It really makes a difference and helps people discover the show. <laughs> gotcha yeah so that's the thing that we usually do we uh we always try to make the other person laugh <laughs> damn it <laughs> it's always the hardest thing is to like not laugh when you try when you know you're not supposed to laugh yeah <laughs> really annoying oh whatever I mean, now you know how all your guests feel I guess yes I, I yeah that's the thing so you know uh 
having never been on a podcast other than my own, Mm. now I know the guest experience and wow. Yeah. I, (laughs) (laughs) something else.